Welcome to the Ordinary Youth Ministry Podcast, where we are cultivating conversations about our world that help us impart a joyful and enduring faith to your teenagers. Your hosts are Andrew Unger, Ellen Vosberg, and me, John Mark Smith. This week, we're diving into an article from churchleaders.com on friendship in the church. If you'd like to read with us, you can find it on churchleaders.com or at the link in our show notes. All right, guys. Uh, Andrew? Yeah, we have an icebreaker today. Um, I used this last night with my students. So the question is, uh, if there was any character from fiction that you could sort of bring into reality and have as your friend, who would you pick? Um, Since I already thought about this last night, I'll go first. So I chose uh, Samwise Gamgee, of course, uh, because he is an excellent friend. The why, I I find the why you pick someone is just as important as the who, Um, because he's a very faithful friend, and he's willing to uh, help Frodo no matter what. So I'm a big, in my house, we are big Samwise Gamgee fans. Frodo is not very important to us. He is like a secondary character in Lord of the Rings. I may not be able to carry the ring, but I can can carry carry you. you. Yeah, yeah. That's where we are. So... That would be my friend that I'd bring into real life. Um, listener, you can't see the faces that Ellen is making when I said that, but it <laughs> there's a lot of judgment. A lot of judgment over there in Columbus. Lord but. of the Rings is just so nerdy. I don't know. I know that's going to be a very controversial statement, so <laughs> just at me, why don't you? Why would you say something so daring and yet so brave? All right, who's Man. next? Who else uh, Who else has a character they're going to bring into real life? The person who keeps coming to my mind, and it does feel like a cliche, but I, I do think I would want to be friends with Lizzie Bennett from Pride and Prejudice, mm. mostly just because I think she seems fun. Like she would be, uh, yeah, good to chat with. Fun banter, as my husband likes to say. <laughs> I think she seems like the kind of friend that you like go to a party and both sit on the side and make mean comments about everybody else while you're there. Absolutely. <laughs> and that is what all of my best friends in life are capable of. So feels right on target. <laughs> that tracks. It definitely does. All right, John Mark, how about you? Well, I was thinking about Sam earlier. And you stole him. <laughs> yes. So I'm going to go back to the one I joked about before, and I'm going to go with the genie from Aladdin because I've never had a friend like him. <laughs> and yes, I realize that makes me apparently a selfish friend, but I think the point is the genie was a friend to Aladdin. It wasn't just that he gave him wishes, but he challenged him to be a better person, right? Ooh. So it's mm. not just, hey, here's this all-powerful genie that gives you whatever you want. In fact, by knowing the genie, Aladdin had to give up the thing he thought he wanted in order to become the person he wanted to be so that's a good friend yeah and the wishes thing is pretty great too and frankly in the broader aladdin cinematic universe only a little bit is he actually granting wishes because you think in aladdin 2 and 3 and the entire tv series genie is no longer fulfilling wishes so that's true and i always struggled with those because once the genie was free couldn't he have just fixed every problem with a snap of his fingers you know it, like he's he's a friend that understood process was important that's what it is yeah <laughs> he could have in any moment saved them from all kinds of hijinks but he was like no 
I'm just going to, I'm just going to let everybody deal with it. That's taking, that's with great power comes great responsibility to mash a number of cinematic nerd universes together. Let's just get as many nerd things in so we can drive Ellen crazy. <laughs> it's not that I'm not a nerd. That's right. I mean, Ellen, I you are like the first person to text me about any Marvel thing that comes out. It's true. <laughs> I do love Marvel. I fell off And I Marvel. also enjoy Star Wars. So hmm. I think it's just that I do not identify with Lord of the Rings nerddom. And that is so prevalent among... Uh, people we hang out with yes true yeah well friends let's dive in today we wanted to talk about this article by mike frost called the lonely crowd churches dying due to friendlessness um and uh this is from churchleaders.com it came out in january and when i first read it i thought this article was putting its finger right on the pulse of an issue that i see happening all the time um i remember being at a church event at our church and just w- looking out at this fellowship time where it was so clear there were certain people there that knew how to connect. And then I watched these other people that were there and present but didn't know how to connect. And what Mike Frost has written about here makes a lot of sense of that. Um, his basic premise is that churches can be very friendly, but that they are not very good at making friends. And the distinction he makes is, you know, friendly is the greeter at the door who says hello to you and welcomes you or the person who turns around if you have a passing of the peace who who greets you or or just the general vibe of the people but friendship he says is a different thing friendship is about the time you spend together the relationships you built and um so he says we're not necessarily really good at building friends and a couple things that i think he does really well is he acknowledges this is not a church problem per se it's a culture problem right and he cites a study um couple studies but one in particular looking at how many people someone feels close enough to in order to um, talk about things with them that are important that, to process through life and he said that uh, they study looked at like kind of the change from 1984 to 2004 and what you see is just a, a dramatic decrease in the number of people who feel like they have a significant number of friends and this is the quote that really stood out to me he says But by 2004, the most common number of friends with whom you could discuss important matters was zero. That there is a a plethora of people who just don't have anyone they feel close enough with. And I kind of want to explore maybe a little bit later why we think that is, which he doesn't really dig into here. Um, Then he talks about how at churches we struggle with listening really well. We don't listen to other people super well. We need to learn to do that better. And he even suggests that we you know, start doing active listening trainings uh, at church, which I think is a fabulous idea. But then he also says the other part of the problem is that we also need to practice being vulnerable. And it is people, you know, it's not enough to listen, but we also have to be vulnerable. Um, and I just thought this article was so helpful just for the way it named and a phenomenon that I'm seeing, especially in younger generations. So millennials and younger, where where they know how to do things online much better than they know how to do actual friendships in person. So I'm really glad to talk about this um, together and hear your thoughts and and maybe uh, how this has impacted you. And I'd love to, Ellen, why don't you tell us first, like what what was your response to to the article? My first response to this article was pretty personal. Like I've, I've definitely experienced this in more than one church. 
I've stopped attending a church before because I didn't, I just didn't make any friends and all my friends went to this other church. So I started going to that other church too. Um, so yeah, I definitely think this is hitting on something real. And then my second thought, um, was that this is really relevant to, um, the students in our youth group. I have heard, I mean, I can think of one student in particular who, very plainly said to us once that like I just don't have any friends at our church Um, and I want to have friends Um, which yeah is like it makes me sad and Um, and I don't know what it's like for you Ellen but at least our church is like putting them in a room together is not necessarily enough no for them to know how to make friends yeah right and it can be hard also for students to make friends Um, I think maybe like across uh peer groups across ages like that can be a problem in our churches that we just we don't have any other sophomores so this one sophomore uh, is kind of out of luck when it comes to making a friend at church in some ways so yeah I think this is hitting on a very real problem and a problem that is maybe probably very immediate to students in our churches mm-hmm. well and I think that's interesting like I always I always feel bad um for kids who go to Christian high schools or Christian colleges and experience what is fairly typical adolescent sense of isolation or, or feeling friendless because it it's like, there's a double pain when it happens in a Christian setting. So it's a double pain in the church when you can't make friends. Um, I saw a meme on Instagram this week that was like when the, when the pastor talks about how everyone needs to befriend someone they wouldn't usually friend and then everyone talks to you after the service and it was just some picture really (laughs) sad but right like i've heard i've maybe even given those kinds of lessons um not not even thinking like what if all my kids went to the one strange student that they didn't immediately befriend and like kind of tip their hand that like this is awkward um right but there's just something about um that that feeling of being friendless that hits hard i guess it hits hard in any size church like in a small church it can feel like well everybody here is friends except for me mm-hmm. and at a big church it can be like there are all these social groups and i don't know how to plug in like i'm an extrovert right. but i have a hard time just like sh- walking up to a group of people being like hey none of you know me but let's be friends now um you look like people i like um <laughs> right like it's the process does feel really hard. Um, and I think it just hurts more in a church setting because that loneliness is compounded with just the sense that we're like not supposed to be lonely. And we can have a lot of big rhetoric about community in churches and in youth groups um, about like community. And we're trying to help these students feel like they're part of the church. And yeah, I think that can be like doubly hard. So Ellen, earlier you said that you actually switched churches one time because of this friendship issue. Um, I'm curious, tell us if you would be willing to share more about that. Like when you switched, was it, was it the other church was actually doing a better job of friendships or was it that you just already had friends there? Mm, That's a good question. I think it may be some of both. So yeah, it happened at a point in my life where I had uh, moved to a new place and I, I was choosing a new denomination as well. So I um, went to this one church in town it was within walking distance of my house um and it was the kind of place where i i definitely felt like i could align theologically that's kind of why i sought it out 
Um, and I went there for about four to five months. And like, just like this article describes, the people were nice. They would say hi to me. I even attended um, some like Sunday school classes. Like I tried to, yeah, find groups of people that I might be able to connect with. But like, I just really didn't. Um, and I And I do think part of the problem there was that I was in a particular point in my life where they didn't have a lot of other people at that same point. Um, so there wasn't any, any sort of ready social connection. And then, yeah, the church I ended up at, I did, I did already have, like, one of my roommates already went to church there, and I had made some other friends through her who went to that church. Um, so, yeah, I did already kind of have, like, people I could already talk to. And then they also had friends at the church that then became my friends. Um, But yeah, I also, I remember feeling welcome and included, um, like right away. So I do think that the the church I ended up going to, yes, I, I did already have the benefit of, I knew a few people who knew other people. And so they were kind of ready connections. But even right. the people that I met later as I continued to go who didn't have any connection to my original friends, um, like they still wanted to get to know me. Um, and I think that was what ultimately made the difference. I'm so glad you found a community there. Yeah, it was nice. So, Andrew, how about you? When you read this article, what were your first thoughts and kind of responses? Oh, man. So I've got my my notes here with all the scribbles of like things that jumped out at me, but sometimes it's unclear if this is like a quote or if something I thought about it, I need to think of a better marking system. Um, I do think that the process difference was really interesting to me of that difference between, like I was thinking a lot about what does it look like to be friendly and how do you like implement vulnerability? I mean, he talks about like active listening training, um, which kind of feels ridiculous. And even, even, at first glance, to people who really want to dive into scripture and learn more about what it means to be Christ followers, it feels like, well, learning how to be a friend, that's not a biblical topic to talk about. Like, why don't we do a Bible study? Why are we learning how to be friends? This seems like an after-school program or something like that. But I think there is something about, there's something really broken about the culture we live in, and we actually do have to train ourselves how to be vulnerable, how to, like, leave space. Like, that time element is is so huge because you don't you can't be vulnerable in like snippets it's hard to be vulnerable over text message it's hard to be vulnerable in a way that like um is natural with the ways in which we typically communicate with other people these days um it's actually why um it it felt like a an affirmation of what i frequently do on retreats that like one of my most important aspects whenever I do a retreat is just a giant block of free time. Like just give students so much time to just form memories and build friendships. I think some of that stuff in unstructured time actually helps us be more honest, be more open around each other because it kind of paves the way. It's like an on-ramp to vulnerability. So rather than everybody sit down and share your darkest secret, it's like, I know this person, I'm comfortable. Um, Yeah. I think that stuff's really critical, but it's hard to program other than just 
here it is. Well, that's that's the. I want to come back to that after I want to hear the rest of your initial thoughts first. But I want to come back to that idea because free time is so important, and I agree with you. And yet, when you don't know how to engage in free time, mm. like we also need structure there, right? Because if it's just, I've experienced this. Like, here's the retreat. Here's free time, and then it's going to be the kids that you're like, I they need the connection the most. They're the ones that are just awkwardly wandering around or not really engaged. Anyway, so we'll come yeah. back to that. Finish your your initial thoughts. Yeah, I, and I guess it also. So maybe think of a couple other things I read. There was a, a New Yorker profile about teenagers during COVID. Um, and this was in the city, right, in New York. So it's a little bit, they were maybe a little bit more isolated than not. But just some of the loneliness that they described about being isolated, um, it initially seems counterintuitive about like, hey, I'm connected to my friends all the time because I'm always texting them on my phone. But actually, I've never felt more lonely Um So it was some of that piece. It also made me think of this book. Man, I don't remember who the author is. The the book was called Search to Belong, and it talked about how churches sort of move people towards intimacy. Um, And the guy talked about different, almost like different personal spaces. Like there's your worship service, then there's like a coffee hour, which is like a little bit more close. Then there's like a Bible study where people are sharing a little bit more of themselves. And then there's like a small group that's like share your secrets or what have you. And... um, and the thing that this author was suggesting is like churches often say, come to our worship service, then sign up for an intimate small group. They don't have like on ramps to intimacy. And so part of like my mind jumps to, okay, how do I, how do I start to get this into my youth ministry? How do I start programming or how do I start building into how we do things on ramps? So you're right, John Mark, like just free time doesn't do it. There has to be something where we help in our mentoring relationships, in our youth group, there has to be some way that we take what we have and we we direct students to closer friendships. Um, yeah, because I think that's really big. Well, let's just go ahead and dive into that a little more then, since we're kind of on it. Um, Ellen, you got a retreat, three hours free time. How are you thinking here? What are going to help students, you know, actually engage in friendship? Mm. I. I definitely think that we uh, we get to know each other better when we're doing something together. Um, mm, so free yes. time is good. We definitely want to want to create opportunities for relaxation, but maybe it's not just sort of entirely unscheduled. I think it also needs to include, um, yeah, may- maybe you're working on a puzzle together. Um, mm. Maybe <laughs> you know. <laughs> Whatever your youth group is interested in, um, I think we w- when we have something that we're trying to do together, um, that like common experience can lead to the like the foundation that you need to be vulnerable. Um, like I've seen you in this scenario, I know what kind of person you are, and so I I can see the ways in which we can connect. Mm. Um, yeah. I think that that's key. Um, yeah, yeah. Doing things together, I, it's, I feel like it's the same thing as like your first date principle. Your first date, yes. you should always have an activity to do together because it's way less awkward when you're doing something right. than just sitting and, and having the intensity of like, that's why coffee dates are actually really bad first dates. Yes. Because all you have is each other. And, you know, with, with uh, mentoring students even, you know, there's a point where you get to where you can say, hey, let's go have lunch. Let's have coffee. But if it's a student you don't know that well, you know, as a, as a pastor or adult leader, 
it's actually, I think, more helpful to say, hey, let's go, you know, play mini golf, shoot hoops, you know, whatever thing together. I do think eating together is important, though, too. Oh, for sure. Um, Maybe you can't start there, but I think that needs to be a component of what you do. I mean, that, and that feels very basic to our, to our liturgical practices, right? Um, it is the Eucharist, it is the communion table that, that knits us together into the body of Christ that makes us a people. Um, and so there's something very important about our non, non-sacrament meals, too. Um, those also have a way of uh, knitting us together, bringing us closer. Yeah, I think, I think some of the, even the liturgies themselves, like I, I'm a firm fan of like daily offices and things like that. And I think leaning into like doing Compline together is mm-hmm. there's something about saying things together, praying together. Um, praying together brings people closer and praying written prayers helps you not feel like too intimate, too quick praying with someone, if that makes sense. Like right. we're, we're all going to say these prayers together. Um, I think that makes a difference. I, th- I think by and large, I'm just a huge fan of, like I became an Anglican because I love tradition, right? Like I love doing the same thing over and over again. And I actually found on my retreats, like thinking back at the to the church where I served at for 14 years, there was like this one camp we always went to um, for our retreats. And there was this like, there was the cave, which was just some place we walked to. It was really just like an alcove in the side of the rock. But like, Every year, the students who had been there before were like, we got to make sure we go to the cave. And the students who weren't there were like, what is the cave? And it's like, well, we're all going to go see it. And we would all walk to, you know, everyone always had to do that thing. Um, and even though it was a very unimpressive, not very an impressive cave, the, the point being it, there's something about ritual. There's something about routine. There's something about the momentum of years and years of doing something that kind of invites people into the stream rather than having to like form something out of nothing. It feels like an initiation into the youth group. Like, oh, I've been to the cave. I've done, you know, I've played that game or I've gone on, you know, I've done Andrew's Mm -hmm. ridiculous mission trips or like stuff like that. Yeah. It's shared, shared experience. Something you can bond over for sure. Or like when Uh, I was in youth group, no, sorry. Oh, go ahead, Ellen. I was going to say, or for example, when I was in youth group, we we all watched the strong bad videos and we would quote yes. them all together. I think developing a sort of inside yes. like joke or, or that kind of, that kind of shared experience can be good too. But yeah. So I've been thinking about this and I remember when I was a church intern years ago, um, hearing the pastor I interned under tell a story about a college student who was a volunteer in the youth group and having to teach the adult leader who was like 20 at the time how to have conversation. You know, and he was like, hey, this is how it works. I ask you a question and then you ask me a question. Like it goes back and forth. It was it's like, you know, classic, you know, conversation skills. But I mean, that was, you know, 2005 and this was a 20 year old guy. So that's, you know, that predates most of our modern social media. And, and so I've just been thinking about where did, where did we get so bad at this? You know, how did we get to this place where we're, because I look at our older generations in our church and I think they seem to know how to do it, Hmm. but it's the younger ones that don't. Um, Ellen, I'm not sure she agrees. So tell me how we got here. I'm not sure how we got here, but I, I, well, I can maybe come up with a way, but I would say, (laughs) 
I've been in churches where even the older people don't know how to do this. Um, where I've been like trying to get to know somebody, have a conversation, and I find that I'm the only one asking questions. Um, so I don't actually know that this is just a young young people problem, because if it's just a young people problem, then maybe we can blame it on the larger disconnection that like social media and the internet has brought into our lives. But I, I mean. I don't know. Maybe I wonder if it's just like a lack of interest in other people. Um, maybe that's part of our problem yeah. um, is that we're just not very interested in what's going on with other people and who they are and mm -hmm. getting to know them, um, especially maybe the kind of people we encounter at church. Um, but our, our society is, is uh, built on a foundation of disconnection. Um, we're very spread out. Um, we have garages, <laughs> we like, like just the very way that our like cities are structured, the way our suburbs are structured, um, are meant to provide greater separation right. between, between each other. So I, I think that that's a problem that started a long time ago, um, and has just cropped up in lots of different ways. Yeah. I wonder even if, um, you know, we're framing this conversation like how to make friends at church um, the same way it's like how to make friends at the library, how to make friends like at school. But we we don't frame the question as the church is where you belong. How do you deepen the relationships with your true family? Like, mm -hmm. how, like this is your most real family. And how do you deepen right. those connections? And I, it's not it's not like I can just say that and suddenly it changes our paradigm. But I think there's something there's something to whether or not you actually identify with the church and then build relationships. I, right. I've seen it. I've seen friendships and deeper relationships happen more easier, more easily um, at smaller churches. Um, I mean, we talk about the intergenerational thing. That's that seems to happen more naturally at smaller churches where you don't have any other options. So it's right. like, well, I'm just friends with people of all ages because when we have lunch after church, who else am I going to talk to? Um, mm -hmm. But it is, it's not automatic. It has to be full of people who do active listening, who, who right. see each other and say, I want to get to know that person. Um, right. And uh, it reminds me of the evangelicals infatuation with C.S. Lewis and his quote that everyone loves to say is, you know, a friendship is born the moment you say, oh, you too, I thought I was the only mm -hmm. one. Which is a great mm -hmm. quote, right? And that is true that friendship is often like when you connect over something. But that does come because a problem when we come to church relationships. Because there might not be someone at church that shares my distinct and unique passion for Game Boy produced music, right? <laughs> like if that's what you are passionate about, you know, you're going to have to work pretty hard to find that passion shared. So I think what you're saying is right, Andrew, is that in church it is friendship but it's a friendship that's born in a different way and fostered in a different way. And I think what um, Mike Frost has pointed out so well is that we don't have the, the fundamental skills to move forward in those friendships. And that's why it resonated with me. Is I like the, it's very practical, right? It's like whether you call it friendship or family or whatever, if you don't know how to do the things you need to do, you can't move forward. And um, yeah. I think that's really helpful. And um, yeah, maybe Ellen, you're right that this is something that we've just never been good at. Maybe it's just a human sin problem. Is we're just uh, we're just too self interested, and what we have to do is uh, be a little more curious. One of my good friends, who I just am always amazed at how many people 
he knows and knows him despite his persistent claims to be an introvert. Um, and But he, one of the things that he's so good at is he's just curious about people. And he just mm-hmm. asks them questions about what they think about stuff. And I'm con- often convicted. I'm like, oh, I don't really care what that person thinks. <laughs> <laughs> I've once heard people talk about um, or describe it as taking turns talking instead of listening, right? So instead of like you say a thing and like, I'm just waiting till you're done so I can say my thing. Um, and that curiosity piece, right as you were talking, uh, and I was just waiting for you to be done so I could say my thing. Um, I, I thought about, <laughs> I thought about, um, a number of years ago now, um, uh, a Wheaton professor and parishioner at the church I was at, Brett Foster passed away and he was a beloved English professor. Um, he was in his early forties when he passed. Um, but the number of people who in sort of talking about what a blessing Brett was to them, the thing that they kept returning back to was how he was such a great friend. And the thing about Brett is you would talk to him and he was just there and present. And like, he took an incredible interest. Um, he had this like radical curiosity, the, the tell me more, like, Mm. like the idea that if someone, if someone tells you that they like Game Boy produced music, that's weird and you may not like it, but clearly it's something that someone has spent some time on. And so you go like, man, I know nothing about that. Tell me more. Like, I'm going to assume that there is something objectively interesting about this and there's something that lights you up about it. So I'm just going to try and understand it better. Um, Yeah. And that's, that's the challenge. And that is not something you can fake. Right. Like you can't pretend to be interested in (laughs) something, you know, when a student comes to you and says, I really like manga comics. If that's not your thing, the best thing to do is be like, yeah, I'm not into that, but tell me more why you are yeah. instead of trying to pretend because that always goes poorly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we can't fake it, except I feel like I hear that women have learned to fake that with men all the time and boost their <laughs> egos by pretending to be interested in the things that men say because we live in a patriarchy. But um, That's true. So maybe it's just that we're not skilled. From, we don't have enough practice yeah. in men to actually do it. Ellen, I feel like you should give us all your all your insight as a woman is having to listen listen to uninteresting men blather on. I don't actually know that you have to feign interest. I think you just have to make the space and men want to fill it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> at least in my experience. <laughs> I think, you know, one of the things you mentioned is you have to make time. And I think that kind of interest, to really take an interest in someone else's whatever, you actually have to put in effort and time and you actually have to carve out some of your own like self-fulfillment as all of it, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. if our entire lives are built around um, finding our own interest, finding our thing, chasing our dream, you know, doing more self-edification, um, you don't have any space for caring enough about another person to learn about what they're doing. You don't, you don't have time to go to some dingy, weird bar above a you know chinese restaurant to go hear andrew play his game boy music to a bunch of weirdos um but i have friends who were curious enough about who i was that they came and watched me play my game boy music in just the strangest setting ever um and that was a that was a radical act of love from my friends to take a unique interest in me and to say man i like this seems so weird but you seem really weirdly into it and I'm willing to take an entire day, like hours of my time to come and and see this happen. Um, But that requires a lot of denial of the self. 
Um, mm-hmm. And that's hard because we're, we're constantly fed inside and outside of the church that the number one goal of our lives is to be happy doing the thing that makes us happy and finding our thing and grabbing onto it and sort of personal meaning making and personal fulfillment um, is at the heart of our understanding of the world we live in. And so making friends is hard when, when the number one goal of your life is personal fulfillment because then all friends can really be is an accessory to your own fulfillment. Um, yeah. And that's a particular problem, I think, in our student ministries. Mm. Um, our students' lives today are very busy. And, mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily even at their own impetus. I don't even know how much control they have over it. But it's, it, it's often th- the culture of um adolescence is pointed toward this idea of Mm self-fulfillment and that their whole lives all of their time is directed toward um you know yeah figuring out who they are what they want to be getting into the right college um you know filling out all of these extracurriculars that are gonna build into the person that you're becoming Mm -hmm. in the place that you want to go um yeah and so yeah that that becomes a like, like when I think about this problem that we have, like that's a much bigger discipleship issue. Um, mm-hmm. That is a particular problem of our students that I think we can identify, but how to even begin to help them break out of it. Like that even can't, that can't be just something they do on their own. Right. I'm um, right. like, we can preach that at them all day long and they're still not going to be able to do anything about it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So given how big it is, and it's, it is big. It's, you know, friendship and relationships are connected to everything. So what is, I mean, kind of thinking towards wrapping up, even though I could talk about this all day, what, like, what is one thing that we can take away from, you know, this article and our conversation to help us as we try to impart that joyful and enduring faith to our students? Like, what's our, what's your takeaway? Um, Andrew, why don't you go first? What is kind of one thing you can take away from this? I think it's... Um that it's okay to give myself and give my, my ministry time for intentional friendship building. Um, mm-hmm. that, that the time to create community, um, and not just a place where students know each other, but a place where students know each other, sort of get to know each yeah. other, is actually an asset. Um, I think this ties into, you know, we're always talking about long-term and longevity faith that endures, right? Um, the the work of helping them build solid friendships and learn how to build friends within the church um you know centered around the life of the church not just friendship on its own but friendship built among christian disciplines time worshiping together praying together stuff like that that is a long-term goal and that's a long-term discipleship aim whether or not the friend in high school is their friend forever the, the point is they will have learned how how to be a friend and how to be um, close with someone else and be vulnerable around someone else and make space for someone else, which will only help them build the kind of relationships that will give their faith roots. Um, so making that space and not just generic free time, like, but actually intentionally curating moments for students to like make up inside jokes. Like you got to make space for inside jokes to happen, but inside jokes are the absolute best, um, for building friendships because they create that bond. So, um, 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's intentionally doing that and not feeling bad that I'm doing a fun night rather than a Bible study lesson right. or something like that. Yeah. Um, I would say my big takeaway is just really practical here, um, which is that um, what I'm thinking about in is we get ready. I mean, this this year is winding down to a close, but as we get start thinking about next year, we're going to have a new grade of students rising up that we intentionally incorporate into our small group times, especially at the beginning of the year, some really simple skill-based practices of, you know, even we were joking earlier about the classic, like, you know, you ask this and then he asked this or, but you know, the ball is the classic example. It's like, I throw the ball. And when I throw the ball, I ask a thing, a question. And then that person has to say something and, and you're just using this really practical, you know, group dynamics activity to teach certain skills. And those skills are actually the same skills you need in one-on-one friendships. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking practically, how cool would it be if we, our youth ministry said, hey, let's just make a little space at the start of small group, especially for our younger students, especially at the beginning of the year, to practice some of these different skill-based resources. And I'm always thinking about, okay, I really want to fix things for my 11th grade students too. But like realistically, I mean, we're, we're, they're on the way out. But if we start with our young students and we say, hey, we're in it for the long haul, we start to develop those skills in the sixth grader who then becomes a seventh and then an eighth and a ninth. By the time they're an 11th, They've learned the skills in a way that, you know, uh, is more of a deep-rooted skill rather than a emergency, like, <laughs> let's tack this on because we're, we're not making friends in 11th grade. So I think that's my takeaway is like, hey, what, what about active listening? What about practicing being vulnerable and creating some very intentional activities that only would have to last a couple of minutes in our small group setting? That's what I'm thinking. So, Ellen, what about you? What's your takeaway? My big takeaway is um, that I think I, as a youth worker, it's important for me to model this for students. Um, I mean, I also want to be friends with my students. And so my goal is that every time we, we go to youth group or a youth group event, I have at least one or two like conversations intentionally with a different student so that I'm, I'm getting to know them. I'm trying to mine whatever they tell me about their week um, for new information for them and about them. And I usually have that in the hearing of other students. So not only are they like observing me doing that, which hopefully they can absorb and maybe practice themselves. Um, but I think also in light of this article, I think I want to try moving those conversations into like making connections between them. So when I learn something new about a student, it, it tips off in my mind, oh, you have that in common with this yeah. student. Let's bring this student in to talk about that. Um, and hopefully that kind of example, um, yeah, pays off. Yeah. Amen. Well, the, there's so much more we could mine from this, but it's been such a, and it's been such a pleasure talking about it. But unfortunately, uh, we'll have to continue our conversation in other places. Feel free to respond to us on Twitter and share with us your thoughts or um, anywhere else. Um, but we just want to thank you for joining us today on the Ordinary Youth Ministry Podcast. You can, again, find our podcast online at OrdinaryYouthMinistry.com and at OrdinaryCast. You can also contact us directly with any questions, comments, or ideas at OrdinaryYouthMinistry at gmail.com. We hope this conversation will help you impart a joyful and enduring faith to your teenagers. We'll see you next time.